0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.
1: So glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to First John. So we'll be this this morning. Such an amazing reality of the Lord's presence here this morning. Amen? What a privilege it is. And may we never take that for granted. Just God's reality in our midst. And that's, that's why we gather. It's actually what defines us as a church family. Um, That's how Paul described the church, he described the church as a temple. And so if you think of a paradigm of the temple being a place where God was supposed to be and worship was supposed to be brought to God, so it is now in this modern church age, the age of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be a, a collective of people that join our hearts together for that one purpose, that God would be in our midst. And that's why we give so much time to to prayer and worship. I do feel like we've stepped into something new in this season as we've allotted more time for corporate prayer and worship through the House of Prayer. I've just uh, noticed a new, distinct um, sense of the Lord's presence upon our property, which is, to me, the greatest delight and greatest privilege. The Lord's discerning presence Amongst us, and what, what do I mean by that? Like, how do I discern that? Because, uh, you know, I, one thing I died to a couple of years ago was the metrics of this world that the modern church has sold their soul to, which is the metrics of attendance and money. Um, you know, a few years ago, we had two services. Honestly, we were going towards three services. People were asking when are we going to go to three services, and we felt distinctly in our hearts the Lord was calling us to recenter ourselves around. Why we gather in the first place, and it 's not to shuffle through people as fast as we can and as efficiently as we can and, and program things to to every minute, but rather it, it is to host the Lord in our midst. It is that the Lord would come and visit us, and that you can't really replicate you can't just press copy and paste, copy and paste um, and and also the church is supposed to look a lot more like family than a conveyor belt or a, a manufacturing plant and so. Uh, all those reasons really pushed us to reconsider what we were doing, and we moved to one service. And, and I know it's tighter, and it's, um, the services are longer, so some of you get a little hungrier as the, as the morning progresses. Um, but I do feel like the Lord has been blessed by it. I believe he's been blessed by it, and in his presence is... Um, becoming all the more known in our midst and that's the greatest delight and greatest privilege. And so what do I mean by his presence being in our midst? Like, what do I, How do I discern that? Well, to me, there's an actual tangible shift that happens in the presence of God. It's what was distracting my heart all of a sudden gets um, calmed by his presence. My distracted mind gets centered on him and really what matters things that worried me, stressed me out, and things I was anxious about, all of a sudden are a non-issue as my heart gets centered on his reality. So much more than goosebumps or what I physically feel, there's something that happens when God, God's presence becomes, pre- like his present reality, that's what I mean by his presence, his present reality. He's everywhere at the same time, right? And so it's our, it's an invitation for us to become aware of his present reality. The, the word of God calls that the fear of God, and that's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning, beginning of the wise life, is to live aware of his present reality. So I'll just give you an example. Yesterday, a lot of times on Saturdays, I love to come in and just spend time in prayer, preparing my heart for, for Sunday. Um, and yesterday I came in, and my mind was about a ton of other things other than this morning. Um, it was on yard work and it was about how awful the, the Cyclones played yesterday. And they couldn't even catch a break. They, they made a field goal and the, the refs didn't even give it to them. Um, no joke, they, they made a field goal and they said no good. So it, those things were on my mind. But honestly, I step into the building, I step onto the property where God's presence has been cultivated all week long through the house of prayer. People are sacrificially coming and they're, they're giving of their busy schedules and worshipers and musicians are coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus, just ministering to him. And I stepped onto the property yesterday and my, my countenance changed. It's like I just had this inclination to whistle and to sing and like this joy came upon me. It felt like such a privilege to be here. It felt like I was that much closer to the Lord, like the peace of God came upon me. My heart became centered on him, and it was, it's beautiful. And I never want to take that for granted. And so I feel like we've stepped into something together as a church family. So I invite you to be a part of House of Prayer however you can. If you can come in person, come. But honestly, in this modern age, um, it's not just confined to those that can come in person. I've been blown away by how many people are coming in person. There's nothing that can substitute that, the in-person connection that happens corporately but in this modern age we can join through live stream and uh, I just heard of a testimony I'm going to actually grab a mic Miss Kim would you come and share I had heard this testimony and I don't even know the fullness of it but Pastor Tony told me about it so um, Miss Kim wasn't able to make it to, to house of prayer one day and you experienced something in your living room through the live stream would you share because I, I want to stoke some faith this morning that people can participate in what the Lord's doing corporately, even through Livestream. Could you share what happened? Sure
0: can. I first want to just say, when I first heard that the House of Prayer sessions were coming to life Point is like I could just feel the breath of God blowing on it and could sense that God was doing something new, fresh here. And it is one of my greatest highlights of my week when I can come here in person and partake of... Uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus in prayer in worship, but I also want to say that there have been times when i 've not been able to and i want I want to grab that opportunity to uh, to live stream and if I, and if i can 't live stream at that moment i 'm going to catch the replay and so this particular day um, I was actually in my kitchen, Pastor Drew.
1: Not the living room, the kitchen. The kitchen can be anointed as well. I was in
0: my kitchen. You just have to do what you have to do, right? right. I was in my kitchen and um, Pastor Tony was was doing the the worship that day, and it's like I get the the presence of the Lord and the sweet anointing of Jesus was coming right through the screen. And so live streaming and catching the replays is valid. Mm and it's valuable. And I just want to encourage you, if you can't be here in person, do what you can. Either do the, the live stream or grab onto the replay, because it, it's such a beautiful part to be able to link arms with the body of Christ, whether Amen. we can be here in person or doing it through, um, through the media.
1: Amen. So. I knew that was a reality, that God can use modern technology and his presence transcends locales, you know, or geography. Uh, but to hear that locally for us as a church family blessed my heart. And so thank you so much, Kim. Uh, praise the Lord. Yeah, there's so much mystery to, to how all that works, but the Lord, um, I believe, is broadening his, his reach in this age through, through technology. And so participate as you can. And, just honestly, throw it as, as you're doing dishes or um, cooking or something. Throw it on your TV, YouTube, and, and join in what the Lord is speaking to us. Join into what the Lord is um, doing in this church family. Amen? You guys received that this morning? Um, awesome. I just don't want anybody to be left behind. I want us all to, to be on this bus together. So hey, let's look at 1 John. This morning I want to convince you that it's the Lord's will for you to be transformed. It is the Lord's will for you to be transformed to look more like Jesus, that is the Lord's will and I wanna convince you of that this morning. From scripture, I believe Jesus came and he gave us an invitation and we can either accept that invitation or we can refuse that invitation. It's an invitation to new life, it's an invitation to be born again as he told uh, Nicodemus in John chapter three. Paul says in Romans chapter eight verse 29 that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's God's destiny, you wanna know what God's plan is for you? More than a vocation, more than where you live or the house you live in or all those things that obviously are important to us. His will for your life is for you to look more and more like his son. In a verse I quoted last week as well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we now with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. We behold the beauty of the Lord and we're being transformed into his likeness from glory to glory. That's the Lord's will for your life. And I want to convince you of that. And I think when it, when it comes to an invitation from the Lord, we oftentimes wrongly, oversimplify our response to that invitation um, by, th- by thinking either I'm accepting it or I'm rejecting it. And obviously I'm not rejecting it because I'm not in complete rebellion to God. Therefore I must be accepting it. But I would, I would propose this morning that our acceptance or rejection of these invitations from the Lord, specifically this morning, the invitation to be transformed into the likeness of His Son, I would propose that it's a little bit more nuanced. It's a little bit more nuanced. Imagine receiving an invitation from somebody to a wedding. When you receive that, they want an RSVP oftentimes, right? They want to know how many people they'll plan for. And so when you're considering your response, it's not, it's not just a matter of whether or not you accept this person or whether you reject them, right? It's not whether I like this person or I can't stand this person. There's much more to it. Oftentimes, Well, most of the time, if we are rejecting an invitation, it's because you have some other thing that's come up, some other event that is more important or kind of takes precedence. Or you just, maybe you're a little too busy. Or um, you had some other complications that came up or you just can't find the time to do it. Or even, sometimes we accept an invitation to something and then things come up and you can't actually follow through on that acceptance of that invitation. I would, I would propose this morning that our response to these invitations from the Lord, specifically to be transformed into his likeness, is much more like that. There is sometimes lip service that we give to these invitations, of which then Monday through Saturday happen and the follow through is not there where I would say sometimes we, we don't even vocally give a yay or a nay or acceptance or decline, but you know our actions demonstrate that we are declining his invitation because other things have come up. We've had another offer. There's, there's all these self-help gurus who are saying, I can just do it in my own power and I can, I can be a new, new me in these ways of the world and all these other things come our way and we end up, Declining in that way. I just would propose that to you this morning so that your heart would be soft to God's word this morning. God's word is supposed to be like this two edged sword, it's supposed to be this, this uh, agent of change in our lives. And so I pray that your heart would be like butter and God's word would be able to cut right in and do his, the work that, that only He can do. I pray that it wouldn't be hard. And so I would propose that to you. Um, let's read this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Just read this first sentence. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's right. God's will for our lives is that we would not be like who we used to be. So we wouldn't just continue doing the same destructive things day after day after day. So it, with tenderness in his voice, this is, this is old John. This is not young, youthful, zealous John. This is old John. John is old, okay? <laughs> I feel old, but John is older than me. He's, he's getting way up there. He's, he's the last of the apostles to be living. He's watched the church be born. He's watched the church, the church now kind of wane into a lesser devotion to the Lord. I read those quotes from the scholars earlier about like the context of first John. It's kind of waned into this lesser devotion. The flame had gone to a flicker, as one of the scholars said. And yet he says, By my little children. He speaks with that sort of tenderness, My little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So have faith. The Lord's will for your life is for you not to continue on the same trajectory that you have in the past, but for you to be transformed to the likeness of his son from glory to glory. Next sentence. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if for a moment you're interpreting what I'm saying this morning is some sort of sinless perfection, nope, he just said right here, if you sin, you have an advocate, You 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 have a way out, you have a... Oh, and, and in fact, a couple of weeks ago, when I was sharing in First John chapter one, verse eight, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." So I'm not proposing this morning that this transformation, this side of heaven, looks like some sort of sinless perfection. OK The church, in, in different moments in, in church history, has grabbed a hold of that idea, and it has led people to wonky, weird places. So I'm not not proposing that. But at the same time, it's not God's will for us just to wallow in the same addictive uh, bonds and strongholds of sin year after year, day after day, season after season. But rather it's for us to be transformed into his image from glory to glory. So it is upward and onward. And that's what he's trying to stoke in this now kind of stalled out church. This church that is kind of, Um, sputtered into this kind of apathy of just treading water, just holding down the fort. Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins. You can say that to your neighbor later, your spouse, propitiation three times and you'll impress them. (laughs) He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that word propitiation just simply means like a toning sacrifice, like a sacrifice. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what what John is passionate about is closing the gap of the inconsistency between our words and the substance of our life. And that's the essence of transformation, isn't it? Like Between our intentions and our hopes and and act, the actual reality and the substance of our life Monday through Sunday. That's transformation. And his heart is to close the gap on that, that we wouldn't just say we know God or we know about God or, oh, I really love God, but then we turn around and we do things that contradict that. He wants to close the gap on that inconsistency and see a transformation in God's, in God's church. So here's kind of the main idea that I want to propose to you this morning. And this is what I believe the heart of what John is is saying here. That our level of transformation is directly tied to our level of knowing God. The level to which we actually know the Lord will determine the level of transformation. He says we can't say we know him but then disobey his commandments. which, Which then means that we can say those things all day long and there's obviously levels of knowing about God or even knowing God that are less than, than what God has invited us into. He's invited us into a level of relationship, fellowship with him that leads to actual fruit and byproducts that, be, that are manifest throughout our week. So what what does this transformation look like? Well, I actually want to start with what this transformation is not, because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about the transformation that Christ offers to us in the church through the gospel. This is such good news, and this is what Jesus bled and died for. This is what he, he came to give his life for, is for us to experience new life. It's for us to be set free from oppression and to set free captives. I mean, that's literally how Jesus started his ministry in Luke chapter four. The Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set free captives and to to speak liberty to the oppressed. That's really, really good news. But some interpret transformation because of bad experiences and honestly, because of human nature, They they interpret transformation within Christianity as faking it until we make it. They interpret it as just kind of putting on a smile, grimacing some sort of outward transformation, which is truly faking it. And you know that word hypocrisy is, in, in its like most um, basic definition, is play acting. That's, that's, where, that's where it comes from, like the, the, the roots of those words is referred to play acting, us just playing games. And that's where so much of the damage in the church has has come from, is people just playing games. And so if your definition of transformation in Christ is faking it until you make it, please set that aside. It's not what it is. Jesus is contending for something more in your life, something more than, than faking it. Second is this behavior modification, just external. Just worried about what's on the outside, just just obeying the commandments without understanding the heart of the commandments. John, and we'll get into this in a little bit, John is tying the the commandments of the Lord to knowing the Lord really, which is actually seeking his face, seeking to know his heart, knowing his values, knowing his priorities, and from there, being compelled and being motivated to, to do things differently, to consider a better way, to consider a different trajectory than we've been, we've been going down. So it's not just behavior modification. The Lord's heart is for something more than just behavior modification. Third, transformation is not a comparison with others. It's not faking it till we make it, it's not behavior modification, and it's not comparison with others. Because to be honest, we are all in different places in our walk with the Lord. And I'm not Holy Spirit in your life. I don't know what, how he's conforming you into the image of us. And that sounds like a pretty big task. And so it's, it's really good that we don't reduce transformation down to this unhealthy comparison to others, where other people are at. And how you're measuring up to other people. You can always find somebody else you're doing better than and somebody else you're not doing better than. And so it's just a, a really unhealthy trajectory. Transformation is none of those things. What is transformation in the Lord? Transformation is this. It's the result of personal encounter. It's the result of personal encounter. So it's you... You yourself encountering the Lord for yourself. You coming to know God. Not through any sort of mediator. Not through all the amazing resources we have in this modern age of the church. But coming to know the Lord firsthand. And nothing can replace firsthand experience in the Lord. Some people don't like the word encounter. I do do appreciate the word encounter because I I believe it it actually communicates substance. It actually communicates broken humanity encountering something supernatural, something eternal. And So to me it's a sizable word in that regard. It's like, it's not that you have to measure one encounter against another as to its significance. The significance of an encounter can only be measured by the fruit that it produces in your life. So you can talk all day long about how God spoke to you, how he encountered you. If it's not resulting in any sort of fruit or byproduct, any transformation, then what good is it? And trust me, the church can be very guilty of expounding on encounters that are not real. And so we contend for personal encounter. It's about you and it's about your transformation being seen and experienced in your life. You coming to know Christ and knowing his heart, true fellowship. So it's the result of personal encounter. You knowing him for yourself. Second, transformation is a transformation from the inside out. That is the Lord's way. So where religion tries to just deal with the exterior, Christianity and the work of Christ tries to and does effectively, through the grace of God, bring a transformation from the inside out. To actually replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, as the prophet Ezekiel said would happen. That's what he does. He changes our motivations. He changes what makes our hearts beat. And so it's been said that the arrow of God's love is aimed at your will. Like if if there's a target that God's love is aimed at, it's at your will. That your will would be surrendered fully to him. That your motivations, that the things that that drive you, that wake you up in the morning, the things that that get you going would be aligned with the Lord. That's, that's That's where his love is aimed at wooing and drawing to himself. And that's how the transformation takes place from the inside out. You know, in terms of behavior modification, some of that can be good. Like, <laughs> if you were a mass murderer, you should just stop murdering people. You know, or if there's something that's very chronic and causing damage to people around you, like, just stop it. Just don't do it. But God's will for your, for your life is for the motivations and desires of your heart to be changed that would actually change outward behavior. That's the Lord's heart. Third is this. Transformation is compared to Jesus himself. Remember, that's, that's the standard. He's, we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and so the comparison is him. And, that, and that's why we won't experience any sort of sinless perfection this side of eternity because that's our eternal destiny. That's, that's what we receive, the, that's our reward, the other side of heaven. So we are compared to Jesus himself. It allows us to take our eyes off our left and our right, off our neighbors and how they're doing and turn them to the Lord. And it's so humbling when he becomes the comparison. Transformation is that. You guys tracking with us? Yes. Okay, so next I just want to break down what John is referring to here in, in regards to knowing the Lord. What does he say there? He says, Whoever, verse four, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So John is calling out this deception that is all too common in us to claim one thing when it's not a reality in us. It's not a a reality in our lives beyond that moment. So I I just want to call out some levels of knowing him. Because I said the level of our transformation is directly tied to the level of us knowing the Lord. So what are some of these ways, different levels of knowing the Lord? One is to know about God. Knowing about God. It's knowing information about the Lord. Which has become dangerously common in our modern age where we have so much information. We have a lot of people who know a lot of stuff about God. And what does scripture say? The knowledge puffs up. Knowledge fills us with information and actually can easily deceive us to thinking that we know someone personally when actually we just know a lot about them. It's like the difference between actually knowing a famous person personally and knowing a lot about them. Like when you meet them, you know everything about them. And they're like, who are you? It's like, what what do you mean? We have all this history together. We have all these amazing moments, laughing together, crying together, you know? But they don't know who you are. You just know a lot about them. It's a dangerous place to be. And religion does that. It feeds you with a lot of knowledge about God, but never giving you an invitation to actually know him personally. And so that's the first level knowing about God. Second is knowing God as an acquaintance. Acquaintance is someone you casually know from a distance. You've conversed with, you, you know them, but there's not the personal level of friendship or intimacy. There's not any sort of shared heart. There's not a lot of history. It's an acquaintance. And this is so common in this modern, especially in the Western church, because Christianity is so permeated in our culture in our our heritage that people have a a certain um, casual knowledge of the Lord that kind of numbs them to anything more, numbs them to any sort of personal relationship with the Lord. The third is that. The third level of knowing God is actual friendship with the Lord. Friendship with the Lord. We actually... Realize that he now, as John 15 says, that now he calls us friends. We're not just serving the God of the universe, but Jesus made a way for us to be called friends of God. And then we actually take that seriously. We actually begin a friendship with the Lord. We begin to actually fellowship with him. We begin to realize that there's a real relationship here. A true friendship. I know working on the campus over all the years, that was like a, such a paradigm shift for students who had grown up around religion, different forms of, um, of Christianity that was, that was void of any power. And when they realized they could actually have a relationship with God, it changed everything. Because realize that's what Christ gave his life for, for us to actually have friendship with God. And that becomes the 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 beginnings of something so beautiful, but there, there is something more. The fourth level of knowing the Lord is, knowing him as more than friend. In this passage alone, we see him as friend, we see him as father, we see him as a perfect sacrifice. And honestly, that list in that last level of knowing the Lord could go on and on and on and on, and it is the grand invitation for us to be conformed in the image of his son through the conduit of knowing God in greater ways, and deeper ways, year after year, day after day, season after season, knowing him as friend, knowing him as faithful father, knowing him as perfect sacrifice, knowing him as comforter, knowing him as counselor, knowing him as the burden bearer. You get to know him in all these ways over a lifetime and that, what, that is what becomes the, the conduit for us being transformed into his likeness. Amen? Amen? So let's just look at this one passage. First John chapter two, five the six verses that we read. I believe that he he gives us those three ways in which we can know God, which becomes just another catalyst to us being transformed into his likeness. Verse two, I'll reread it. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. So we have an advocate. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word advocate can be thought of as a friend, as a helper. The actual Greek word is parakletos, which is the same word that Jesus used to describe Holy Spirit. So here, Jesus himself is the parakletos. Here, Jesus is the the helper that comes alongside us to advocate before the Father for us, which is an ultimate friend. A friend, as Proverbs says, is closer than a brother. That is Jesus. To know God in that way changes everything. It allows us to actually approach him, to come to him, not just see him as some distant creator but rather to, to come to him trusting the tenderness in his eyes, trusting his kindness, trusting his generosity, trusting him as a friend. He says we have an advocate. We have this one who, who's our helper. And some even believe that the, some of the language here is, is like the language of a, of a courtroom, like an attorney, like someone who's defending us. Think of that sort of friend, a friend who has your back. And why would Jesus have our back? Because he paid the price for us. The reason Jesus would confidently go before the Father on our behalf is because he paid that ultimate price for us because he paid for the sins that we've committed. So the context here is if you do sin, know that you have an advocate. And this is not a, just a, um, a generic advocate. This is a personal advocate who paid a price for your wrongdoings, who paid a price for your offenses against God. This is very personal. Like this is a friend who knew you when you betrayed that person or when you lied about that thing or you fell into that sexual sin or you, you acted out in anger in that way. He saw you and he personally paid the price for that sin against God. I mean, that changes everything. When you see it through that lens, it doesn't allow you to take sin lightly and be like, oh, I got my buddy, I got my buddy Jesus. He took care of it, right? He's, he's got my back. No, it's, it's personal. Like, no, he paid the price and it cost him his blood and he was beaten and bruised for me. And it brings, it brings like a, a grief to him when we when we go against him again in in that way, it all of a sudden changes everything, so it brings a real humility to it. He's our advocate. It actually really calls for us to, uh, as verse nine says, confess our sins to the Lord, knowing he's faithful and just. We don't take it lightly, just because we have an advocate but we realize no these, this is holy ground, and my advocate paid the price for this. And he is pierced for my transgressions. I'm gonna confess my sins to the Lord, knowing he's faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness. So, what was the, the second part? Well, he's an advocate with the Father. So knowing the Lord as the Father. Knowing God as a loving father, as a perfect father. Oftentimes knowing God as father is something that has to be completely rewritten for us because a lot of us didn't have great relationships with our fathers. And so to know God as father almost at first becomes like an offense to our hearts. Like I don't want, fathers to me have not been great. I don't wanna know God as father. But here, James calls him in the book of James, he calls him the perfect father of lights. The one from whom every good and perfect gift comes from. The one in whom there's no shadow or turning. So whatever your father, however your father failed you on this earth, God our father is completely different. He is a perfect father. He's a good father. And so to know him like that, And so in this economy, in this transaction, you have an advocate, your friend, who paid the price for your sins coming before this good, perfect, and just father, the father of the universe. And so to know him like that, knowing that you have a father who takes care of you, knowing you have a father who truly wants to see you, a part of the family of God, grow up into maturity, Is that not the heart of a a good father? To see his kids grow up, take responsibility to flourish, to, um, to produce something great in this world, to make the world a better place through their being here. That's what a good father wants and that's what our heavenly father wants of us and why we're adopted into his family in Christ. We're adopted into the family of God. So some of us need to, allow that revelation of the Father to wash over us so that orphan that stubborn orphan spirit can die and the Lord softens and woos our hearts to trust him to take him at his word to know that he's faithful and that he's just amen and what was the third the third aspect that we can know the Lord just in this one passage 1 John chapter 2 it says Jesus Christ the righteous so We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that's the third way we can know the Lord, which leads to our transformation. It's through him as our perfect sacrifice, as our atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice we could never produce on our own. Every other world religion tries to offer up some sort of idea of you bringing a sacrifice that would be pleasing to God. You you going through these steps, you going down this path, this path to enlightenment, somehow impressing God enough. And the gospel turns all that on head head because Jesus is the path. Jesus himself uh, provides the steps through his own life to the Father as the perfect sacrifice and he ends up paying the price for our sins on the cross, giving of himself perfectly, paying the price for us, and that we would know him in that way. That would wash over us. And when we see it through that lens, that allows us to take seriously our sin, to realize I don't want to continue to, to live this way that grieves the Lord and that offends him, but rather I want to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I want to, I want to live away, in a way that is actually, uh, lives, or that reflects gratitude, that re- reflects worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. Hope you guys are tracking with me this morning. Knowing the Lord, the levels of us knowing the Lord is directly tied to our transformation.
0: This has been the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.